Welcome to the Holmes Politicast. I'm Jim, and I'll be your host for today. Uh, a lot of big news going on with the elections this week. And, uh, you know, Biden just got back from his trip overseas for the quote-unquote climate summit, which really accomplished nothing, but it was a lot of talk. A lot of hot air, um, which probably attributes a lot to the climate global warming. Um, but anyway, so uh, this, let me just start with uh, the Biden thing. Um, yeah, they really didn't come up with a lot of deals. They mostly blamed China and Russia and Saudi Arabia because they didn't come to the climate meeting. Uh, so, of course, it was easy to blame them. And, you know, the thing is that they they all agreed to cap their emissions and, you know, by 2050, their 2030, I mean, they had different years that they were going to bring down their carbon emissions and things like this. But number one, America has a different problem than a lot of the other countries. And it's a unique problem, if you consider it a problem. Uh, I don't, but I'm just saying, if, if you're part of the climate group, then America has a unique problem. That is that we are democracy. I mean, uh, Hmm, okay. I mean, I know we're a republic, but we're a democratic republic. So the people vote on things. So in that sense, for our discussion, we're a democracy, let me just say. Because, and that is a problem because we can't just unilaterally, the president can't just unilaterally make decisions. I mean, there are some things, like Trump was able to pull us out of the Paris Peace Accord. You know, there are some things the president can do. But for majority of the things, the president just can't do it. This was a problem way back in the days of slavery. You know, uh, England was able to abolish slavery. Uh, I don't, I don't remember exactly the year. It was in the early to mid 1800s, and they were able to do that because they had a king. The king just decreed that slavery will no longer exist. America, it took a civil war to really put an end to slavery. Because the president couldn't just decree that slavery is going to be gone. And I know you'll use the example of Abraham Lincoln and all that, and that's a totally different story, and I'm not going to get into that one. But but in normal times, the president can't just decree things. So so Biden can get up there and say with all certainty our goal is by 2030 or by 2050 that this is going to be our emissions. But he has to deal with the Congress. He has to deal with the American people. He has to deal with businesses. He can't just unilaterally make that decision. He can set a goal. But there's no guarantee that that goal will be met because the next president or Congress or any number of things, or maybe not the next one, but maybe two presidents or two Congresses from now, they could easily change that. You know, it's not a decree that the, pre that the king puts out and says, this is how it's going to be, and you will follow it. So I'm always kind of leery at these things because the United States really can't make those decisions. And and I know presidents are often embarrassed. Bill Clinton was embarrassed. Uh, George W. Bush, to a certain degree. Um, I know Bill Clinton was because I've seen some of his. Now they've, after he's been out of office a while, they've released some of his transcripts, and and he tells um, uh, one country, and uh, now I forgot what it was, but he tells them in there, they're they're pressuring him to do something. Oh, I think it was about it was about Kosovo, and you know, sending in troops to Kosovo to help or Rwanda to help the, the genocide that was going on. And he tells them that 
uh, I have to deal with the Congress. I can't just send them in. You know, we have a constitution in our country. You know, the president has very finite abilities, and uh, I have to deal with the Congress, and I have to deal with the American people. If the American people don't want me to go into a country, then I can't do that. Obama discovered that with, with Syria. He drew a red line and said, if they cross this line, it's going to be the red line, and we're going to go into Syria. And we moved toward it, and the American people said, no, we don't want to go to war with Syria. And Obama had to drop it because he's not a king. He can't just unilaterally decide we're going to war. You know, he's got to base it on the American people. And, of course, it frustrated him because now he looked like a fool. He drew a line in the sand. He told all the other countries in the world that if, if Bashir al-Assad does this, we're sending in troops to stop it. And the American people said, no, you're not. You know, we're the boss. You're not sending in troops. And then he's stuck there. Okay, well, I can't do anything. The people told me I can't do it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the rest of the leaders are probably laughing at him because, oh, yeah, big, big United States president. He's so most powerful man in the world, and he can't even go in there unless he gets permission, you know, from the people or from Congress, you know. So these things are kind of a joke anyway. And then secondly, my second point, which I'll get to real quick, is that – um. There is no teeth. There is no way of implementing these protocols. It's just based on, uh, to use the outdated term, a gentleman's agreement. They all just agree to, but if they don't, there is no international climate court that is going to you know, hold the United States or any other country accountable if they don't do it. You know, they're, they're, It's just on your word. And this is, this is what happened with... Uh, the League of Nations, there was, um, I mean, there was a lot of opposing to the League of Nations, but, but um, Calvin Coolidge in the 1920s, he met with a number of countries after the League of Nations failed, and they came to an agreement that they wouldn't go to war with each other anymore. We would never have another world war. And, and one of the reasons why we had to create the United Nations later after we had a second world war is that there was, there was nothing binding. It was just, you know, there was no teeth to this legislation. They just made an agreement. We're no longer going to go to war like we did before. And what happened? We went to war like we did before. Um, because, you know, there, there is no teeth to it. There's no way to implement it. There's no way to make sure that anybody follows these rules. I mean, if you're a bigger nation like the United States, yeah, you can impose that on, you know, Brazil or something, you know. But there's no way to hold the United States accountable. Who's going to hold the United States accountable? We're the most powerful nation in the world. If we decide, if we get another president who decides, I don't, I'm not going to do this climate nonsense, the other countries can balk and complain, but there's nothing they can do to stop the United States or to, or to force the United States to implement it. So, uh, you know, I just, I just feel like it's, you know, it's a lot of talk and it's a lot of feel good. I mean, Biden came out and said, that we accomplished more in two days than in the history of the planet concerning climate change. Well, you didn't accomplish anything, so maybe you might be right. Maybe maybe uh, nobody's else even talked about it in a climate summit, but but you really didn't accomplish anything. Uh, nothing was really accomplished. They just pat, patted each other on the back, and at one point they ridiculously threw a coin in the fountain to you know as a wish for climate change, which is about as as close as they're going to get to any actual. You know, I mean, you know, a wish in a well is, is about as good as they're going to get. I guess that must be the two days that Biden's talking about. We did more in two days. I mean, we threw a coin in the well. But it's 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 just 
I, I, it's just nonsense, in my opinion. It's just more talk by politicians. I mean, I, I mean, I, not that I, I'm in big favor of them doing a lot of things, but I'm just saying, it just annoys me that this is just what politicians do. If they really feel there's an actual climate crisis that we can we can do something about, then let's do something about it. Not just get together and talk and throw coins in a well, and you know, and then say. Oh, good. We, we've we've done something. You know, it, it just reminds me of like when Obama gave that speech in Egypt where he talked about how we need to end the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and we need to, uh, you know, we need to, you know, not blame Muslims for all of our problems or whatever. I don't remember exactly. He was on his apology tour and they gave him the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, he didn't do anything. He just gave a speech. He didn't. He didn't bring peace to anything. I mean, he actually expanded the wars. He went into Libya, and he, he there were more drone strikes, killing innocent civilians than any other time in our history. And but he got the Nobel Peace Prize because he gave a speech where he, you know, you know, and and wanted to hold hands and sing kumbaya. And they, you know, I mean, this is what happens over and over in politics, particularly in democratic politics, is they get credit for wanting something, and it just it's always bothered me. That they get credit, you know, that if a a person, you know, if a Democratic candidate gets up there and says, you know, we need to heal the planet, we need to, you know, we need civil rights for all Americans, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then they're credited for doing so much for civil rights or doing so much for uh, climate control and all these other things, when all they did is just brought it up. They didn't actually do anything. You know, and and you know, Al Gore won the Nobel Prize for uh, warning the world about climate change. I mean, he won it for warning the world. I mean, I could get on this podcast and warn everybody that climate change is going to destroy the world. Am I going to get a Nobel Peace Prize because I didn't do anything more than Al Gore did? All you know, you're just coming out and just saying something. You know, yeah, I'd like to see slavery ending around the world. I mean, I know that. Uh, there, there are sex slaves. There are human trafficking. There is slavery in Libya. There is, you know, there is still slavery in the world today. Actual, real slavery. I'd like it all to end. Where's my Nobel Peace Prize? I, I said I want it all to end. I've done just as much as Biden or Obama or, or uh, even Donald Trump. I mean, he talked a lot about uh, human trafficking, which I was happy about. But, you know, but why aren't we all winning the Nobel Peace Prize? You know. Because it used to be based on you doing something that you got rewarded. You know, you brought peace to the Middle East, like like Carter was able to bring, you know, Israel and Palestine together. And, you know, Trump, although he didn't win the Nobel Peace Prize, but he brought Israel and Egypt who had been at war for a long time in the Abraham Accords. And he brought peace there. You know, Teddy Roosevelt brought peace between Prussia and Japan, and he won the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, it used to be about accomplishing something, having real tangible results. Now, it, you know, you get credit if you just talk about something, you know, um, and it just a uh, little bit of a rant there, but it just annoys me that nothing was really accomplished. I mean, really, I think, you know, if, if you if you want to do something that instead of throwing the coins in the fountain, how about prayer? I mean, prayer is more effective than throwing a coin in a fountain. Pray about it, you know. Uh, you know, but of course they'll dismiss that as just fantasy and 
why are you praying, you know, about real problems, you know, as if you're invisible, you know, genie is going to suddenly cure the earth. But yeah, let's throw a coin in the fountain because that's real effective. We all know how effective that is. I mean, uh, you know, I just, it just, it just bothers me. It, it really was a waste of taxpayer money to fly him over there and to participate in this. It, that could have been easily a Zoom meeting, you know, he could have done from the White House. Because uh, it really, it, it really didn't accomplish anything. Having him go in person didn't accomplish anything. And it didn't accomplish anything anyway, even if it was a Zoom meeting, but we would have saved all the gas and travel and the carbon emissions that Air Force One would have sent, you know, um, I think it would have been much better if they were going to do it, to just do it over Zoom. And everyone just give their own little speech and be done with it. But anyway, uh, and then, of course, we have the bills. The entire Biden administration is just going collectively down the drain. I mean, it, it could, it can be salvaged. I, I say that to the sadness of most of my Republican listeners, because it, it can be salvaged. I mean, Bill Clinton's first two years were an absolute disaster for the Democrats. This is a pattern the Democrats have. The Democrats get the House, the Senate, and the White House, and they go crazy. And then they lose everything. It happened to Obama. It happened to Bill Clinton. And it's happening to Biden. Uh, I guess you could say Obama's another example of that, too. Uh, so it can be salvaged because both Clinton and Obama went on to win re-election in survey years. But their first two years were a disaster. Uh, and that typically seems to happen when any party controls everything. The first two years of Trump's presidency was a disaster because the Republicans couldn't decide on anything. They couldn't work together. It was all this infighting. You know, now that they've got power, they want to, everybody wants to do their thing. Like, you know, under Trump, there was a lot of questions about repealing and replacing Obamacare. Some Republicans wanted to get rid of Obamacare completely and go back to our old system. Some people wanted to tweak Obamacare and make it work. Some people wanted to get rid of Obamacare, but replace it with something better. Um, you know, and so you end up fighting and then they ended up not doing anything about Obamacare because they couldn't get any agreements. It is a problem when uh, one party holds all power, typically. Unless there's some unifying event like George W. Bush had 9-11 and he was able, when he had a Republican Congress, they were able to get a lot of things done because America was united behind the president. But many times it is a disaster. And in Trump's case, um, Trump, if it hadn't been for the coronavirus and the lockdowns and, and all that, I mean, Trump easily would have sailed for re-election because we had a, a thriving economy. We had He didn't do any real damage. I mean. He didn't accomplish a ton because, like I said, the Republicans didn't give him any real wins except for their tax break. Other than that, they didn't really get a whole lot. The Congress didn't do a whole lot. But um, the Democrats were a disaster when they took over, and they wouldn't give him anything either. So he didn't get a whole lot accomplished, but he still accomplished enough that he would have gotten reelected if it hadn't been for – the lockdowns and all that. And I, I still don't know if it was um, if it was just a side effect, you know, the Democrats um, just were, you know, were more concerned and all that. 
and just as a side effect, it hurt Trump, or if they really planned it to hurt Trump. I don't know. But anyway, whichever way it was, it did hurt him by the constant harping about the coronavirus deaths and then the lockdowns and it shut down the economy and, you know, tank the stock market. And, you know, um, so anyway, back to my point, the, the Democrats, you can't count them out completely. I, I don't want anyone to say, well, the Democrats have done, there's no chance they can win. You need to be village, vigilant and going out and voting as if, uh, as if your life depends on it. You need to go out and vote because this could, uh, they can recover from this. Like I said, um, Bill Clinton's presidency, even worse than Obama's, the first two years were just a disaster. And you had Helen Thomas and many of the uh, reporters, very liberal reporters. I remember Helen Thomas distinctly because she had that really high-pitched voice asking him in a press conference, your presidency's going down the drain. You know, uh, just everything was going wrong for the Clintons. And they were able to recover and win re-election. So things are going really bad for the, for the Biden administration right now. But if, if Republicans aren't diligent, they can recover from this because we still have a little bit of time and, and before, the, before the midterms. But even if the Republicans win the midterms, it's not necessarily mean that Biden is going to lose. Now, Mitch McConnell is a really crafty politician, so he might be able to stop a lot of what Biden wants to do. But in Bill Clinton's case and Obama's case, the Republicans swept the House and the Senate in the midterms with Bill Clinton in uh, after two years in office, and Obama lost the House and the Senate to Republicans after two years in office because both of them were disasters, and they both went on to win re-election because they were able to uh, – turn it on the Republicans that it's their fault that aren't, things aren't getting done and the people rewarded the the Democrats because they just because the Democrats blamed Republicans as being obstructionists and we would get all these great things done had it not been for them and that was what Trump was going to use in the midterms uh, when the Democrats took over well they only took over the House but he was very successful again until coronavirus he was very successful in blaming the Democrats, the reason why the wall wasn't being built, the reason why you know, we weren't able to bring jobs back from overseas, the reason why we, didn't, we weren't accomplishing all these things is because the Democrats were obstructing. And it would have been a very effective strategy. And, and like I said, he would have won. But um, everything started spiraling out of control or looking like it was spiraling out of control. And so, uh, so it ended up not working for him. But so my point is that the, the, the Democrats can't be counted out completely, but they're in a hard time right now. And they're trying really hard to push through these big things, which is just was a mistake. I mean, if they really wanted to get all this stuff done, and I don't mean to help the Democrats because well, it's too late now uh, because they're not going to get anything really majorly accomplished next year during election year. And they probably will lose one or both houses of Congress in the midterms. But had they really wanted to accomplish something, they should have done a number of small incremental bills that had the effect overall of making sweeping change instead of trying to pass two or three major bills that cost trillions of dollars 
while we're in a recession, while inflation is hitting hard, and they're trying to pass these trillion-dollar deals, it's going to be really hard for them. They would have been better off to pass a small voting rights bill and then a, you know, a, a bill to, you know, help small businesses and then a bill to, you know, you know, just small incremental things that if you add them all up, it's trillions of dollars and it's going to, you know, bring jobs and, you know, whatever they're claiming they're going to get. You know, that would have been better to do a series of small bills, get them passed. There wouldn't have been a lot of fighting, you know, because you know, they could get them passed in a couple of weeks, as opposed to now taking months and months and months to try to get this major voting rights bill and this major infrastructure bill and this major, you know, coronavirus bill, all these things. Uh, it's just too much. It looks like overreach. It looks like they're trying too hard to take over the, the economy, to take over uh, the country. And it's backfiring, really. So, it, you know, it's something to keep in mind for the Republicans if when they get back in power, which they will at some point here, uh, they will control all three branches at some point. I don't know when that'll happen. I don't know if that'll be in four years or if it'll be eight years or whatever. But at some point, Republicans will have control. And that's my advice to them would be to try to pass a number of smaller bills to get their agenda instead of doing an om omnibus bill, they call it this huge, huge bill. It's like reaching for the stars, and they're gonna they're gonna come up short. They may get something out of this. I mean, they, I'm not saying they're not gonna pass something. They may get something passed here very soon, but it's not gonna be everything that they wanted. It's gonna be being very watered down because people just aren't in the mood uh, for a major bill. I mean, this is not this isn't the Great Depression. You know, we're not in the Great Depression, and uh, you know. People are struggling, and when they're hearing that the government wants to use their hard-earned tax dollars, which is already being squeezed on all sides from the government and then you know, a lack of jobs and uh, – or lack of hiring, I should say. There's not really a lack of jobs, but you – know, and then inflation going up and gas prices and food prices, and, and uh, you know, they've got so much on their mind and – and then on top of that, it feels just like waste. So you want to spend a trillion dollars, you know, to, you know, for all these little pet projects. I mean, we, you know, we've got, you know, how about sending some of the money back to us? I mean, we're squeezed here. We're losing our homes. We're, we're ba barely able to pay our bills. Prices keep going up. Wages aren't going up. Prices are going up. Taxes are going up. And yet, you know, we're still making the same amount. And you know, we don't have the money to just keep spending and, and feeding Washington and their, you know, their fat bellies. Um, so uh, that's the big um, national stuff. There's a few things I want to talk about. Uh, oh, and then, uh, oh, uh, uh, in the state, I wanted to talk about um, uh, the state. I want to talk about Virginia winning, Lincoln winning in Virginia. Um, the Republican, great news for the Republicans. Uh, there is a number of, of things that the Republicans and Democrats are getting wrong about this race. Um, I, it is a good sign for the Republicans. It means that at a, at a, on a post-Trump world, we can still win. I mean, Republicans were pretty discouraged because, you know, um, with Donald Trump, we went through a series of losing. 
Republicans lost the White House, they lost the Senate. Uh, of course, they didn't have the House. Uh, you know, we lost California recall. Um, you know, and then before that, you know, losing the Senate, we lost the two Georgia Senate races. And it was, you know, it was becoming somewhat discouraging that, you know, people were starting to wonder, maybe Donald Trump did a lot more damage than we thought. Maybe it's irreparable. Maybe it's going to take a generation for the Republicans to, you know, to save themselves like it did after Herbert Hoover was so disastrous uh, or appeared to be so disastrous. I have my own feelings on Herbert Hoover. But, you know, the Republicans lost the White House for 20 years and rarely. And I didn't have any, didn't win the House back for 40 years um, and just intermittently would win the Senate. But the Republicans were, you know, they were uh, denied the promised land after the Great Depression was blamed on them. It took a whole generation before Dwight Eisenhower was able to bring the Republicans back um, and to be a major party again. They were Democrats just ruled everything. So there was some feeling that maybe that happened with Trump. Maybe we were going to have another generation where the Republicans are in the wilderness and the Democrats control everything for a long time. So this is heartening to see that Republicans haven't lost their touch, that, yeah, we had a few losses. We lost a few battles, but it doesn't look like we're going to lose the war. It looks like we're coming back. And that's one of the great things that Glenn Youngkin did is he didn't attack Donald Trump, which I really appreciated. He didn't he didn't he didn't denounce Donald Trump. He didn't he didn't embrace him and campaign with him. Uh, but he didn't denounce him. You know, he, he didn't. Um, so he was able to thread that needle of of saying, I appreciate Donald Trump's support. I appreciate his endorsement. But times have moved on. We're you know, we're not going to continue to litigate the 2020 election and and all this. I'm going to run on real issues. So it's definitely a sigh of relief for Republicans because. And the Republicans won big in, in Virginia. They won the lieutenant governorship. They they won the attorney generalship. So, but the Democrats have made a major mistake. It's the same mistake Hillary Clinton made in 2016, is that McAuliffe tried to run a national campaign, and he ran against Donald Trump. And the truth is, people don't really care. You know, I mean, I, I know this might sound, it might sound the wrong way. When I say people really care about Donald Trump, what I mean is they're not interested in, like I said, relitigating. Donald Trump's no longer in office. People aren't interested in these labels. Oh, you know, Glenn Youngkin is another Donald Trump. He's a mini Trump. He's nobody cares. What that was McAuliffe's major mistake, although there was a lot of mistakes McAuliffe had, but one of his major mistakes is that he didn't run on anything, just like Hillary Clinton didn't run on anything. She ran that she wasn't Donald Trump. Look at Donald Trump over there. Look at him. Look what he says. Do you really want your children to hear that? I'm not Donald Trump. Vote for me. And Donald Trump in 2016 was running on bringing jobs back. He was talking about bringing America back, bringing back respect, bringing back honor and decency and and uh, to the White House, you know, like I said, bringing jobs back, bringing, getting us out of all these ridiculous treaties, getting us out of the wars, all these things. And Hillary Clinton was just running on, I'm not Donald Trump. And that's what McAuliffe was running on is Glenn, Glenn, a vote for Glenn Youngkin is a vote for Donald Trump. And Glenn Youngkin 
on the other hand, was running on Republicans typically run on and a winning issue. He was running on local issues. He was running on bread and butter issues. You know, he was talking about getting rid of the uh, like the dairy taxes because price of milk was getting really high and it was hard for people, primarily mothers, to buy milk for their children, you know, for their cereals and things. And he ran against that. He ran uh, uh, saying parents have a right to know what's going on in their children's education. Terry McAuliffe, like an absolute fool in the debate, said that parents don't have any right and any shouldn't have any input in what's taught in their children's school. That was the dumbest thing I think anybody has said in a campaign debate since uh, Walter Mondale claimed that he would raise your taxes if he was elected. I mean, why would you say something like that, even if you believed it, even if you were totally even if you totally believe parents shouldn't have any indication, any input, government should run everything. Even if you believe that, why would you be stupid enough to say it in public? I mean, you know, you don't say that. You don't tell parents that they don't have any right to know what their kids are going to be taught. You know, um, Glenn Youngkin was running against the critical race theory. He was running against mask mandates. He was running. He was running not just against. He was running pro-family pro-family issues. You know, parents should have decisions about whether their kids are forced to wear masks. Parents should have decisions about whether their kids are vaccinated. Parents should have decisions about what is being taught to their children about race and about history. And, you know, he was running on actual real issues that the people of Virginia cared about. And meanwhile, McAuliffe was just out there running about, you know, he's going to be another Donald Trump. Uh, you know, it was just a dumb, it was just a dumb thing. So I'm really heartened. And, and I, I like Glenn Youngkin. I, I watched the debates, even though they don't affect me. I watched them. And I've never, you know, I'm a little biased because I was never a fan of Terry McAuliffe anyway. Uh, and that's a whole different story. I could I could go on about why I didn't like Terry McAuliffe for a long time. But I did, but it wasn't just I, I, I didn't want Terry McAuliffe to win because I didn't like him. I legitimately liked Glenn Youngkin, so I, I'm happy to see he won. You know, this wasn't just I want to see a Republican win or I just want to see McAuliffe lose. I actually liked Glenn Youngkin, so if I was in Virginia, I would have proudly voted for him. Um, so I'm happy to see that, and I'm hoping that the Republicans um, remember what got them elected and made them a, a great party, and that is running on issues that people care about, not – you know, issues that affect them. And, um, you know, it, it's just a losing campaign if they're just going to run on issues like Arizona was stolen, you know, or things like that. You know, that's not going to resonate in Michigan. It's not going to resonate. I mean, that might be true, but people want to know, what are you going to do in our state? How are you going to help us live our lives better? You know. And in some cases, that means getting out of our lives to help us live our lives better. That's what they want to hear about. They just they don't want to hear a relitigation of, you know, are you pro-Trump or anti-Trump? Do you think the election was stolen and things like that? I mean, those might be secondary issues. You know, um, you know, like you might you might say, I want uh, the ballots to be um, audited, forensic audits. But those should be secondary issues. Those shouldn't be the top issue that you're running on. There should be secondary issues that along with all these things we want to do, we also want to make our elections secure, you know, and those are the things that you need to run on 
the Republicans did about net bread and butter issues, talk about things that are really going to affect Americans, and um, and some and social issues do that. You know, issues like like critical race theory and abortion are important issues to a lot of people, and that's where you should the Republicans really need to focus on, and that's a winning issue. And let the Democrats run on the idiocy in Minnesota. They, uh, you know, they voted on defunding the police, and the and the people of Minneapolis voted overwhelmingly to keep the police force. I mean, the Democrats are running on losing issues. They might make they might sound good. Uh, on TV, on MSNBC or CNN, but they they're they're not winning issues. Defunding the police, uh, being pro-abortion, being um, pro-wokeness, you know, uh, uh, they're not winning issues. And so let the Democrats run on that. Let the Democrats run like lunatics on issues that nobody cares about. And the Republicans say we're interested in helping the American people. Inflation is too high. Taxes are too high. You know, the government is out of control, um, trying to control your children's education. They want to decide what your, your kids need to learn. They want to decide, you know, um, what, you know, uh, you know wh whether you should have a gun or whatnot. They want to decide, you know, that murder is okay of an unborn child. Uh, they want to decide, you know, they want to make all these decisions that are contrary to common sense and to what Americans believe inherently. And, you know, let the Democrats run their crazy election. Just ignore them. Run on the real issues. And Republicans are going to win. And Republicans win on the landslide in the midterms and in the presidency if they run on that. Because seriously, nobody, nobody likes Biden and Harris. Nobody. They'll win in a landslide. If they run on those issues, but if we just spend the time relitigating the past and insulting the Democrats, you're not going to win. The Republicans aren't going to win because the American people are smart enough to know the Democrats are lunatics. They don't need the Republican candidate to re to remind everybody the Republicans are the Democrats are lunatics out there. We already know. American people know that. So tell us what you're going to do differently. Tell us what you want to do, you know. And and people will juxtapose that with the ridiculous ideas that the Democrats have and say, we want the Republicans. Anyway. All right. Um, we're getting close. But uh, here's a couple of state issues. Um, and I, okay. Thought it, like I thought I hit a paywall here. It's in the Detroit Free Press. Michigan to add X option for driver's licenses and state IDs for non-binary people. Now, you will know about this a little bit if you follow our Twitter account because this has been posted on there and discussed a little bit. But Michigan will soon expand the choices for the sex listed on residents' driver's licenses and state identification cards to include an X option for non-binary people. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson announced the change Tuesday. I am proud to support Michiganders across the state who for many years have called on the Department of State to provide a non-binary sex marker on their ID that matches their lived reality, Benson said in a statement. Uh, I, I have a problem with the word reality because they're living in a fictional world, but okay. Uh, I would picked, I would have picked their, that matches their lived delusion, maybe. The option will be available starting November 10th. Anyone wishing to change their sex marked to the 
non-binary option can visit a Secretary of State's office branch then. Um, in 2019, the Secretary of State's office issued new rules to allow residents to correct their sex designation without providing a birth certificate, passport, or court order, as was required under the old policy for changing the sex indicator on a driver's license. But the change did not provide a non-binary option at the time because of technological constraints, the Secretary of State's office said. The Michigan Department of State completed overhauling its technology in March to program the non-binary option according to a news release from the department. Uh, the announcement comes on the heels of news from the U.S. Department of State to launch a non-binary option for U.S. passports in early 2022. Uh, all right. That is just... What's even the point of having a driver's license with all this information on it? It used to be... I mean, the reason we went from just having, you know, a license, you know, just your name, I guess, was uh, for a lot of different reasons for police. So they could, you know, they list your eye color and your hair and, you know, and, and whether you need glasses and all these things were helped to help identify you. Uh, but now if there's an X, what is the point of even then? Why do we even put on there? Just take off the sex completely then. You know, just take it off. You know, I don't know why you, you know, if, if, if anybody, if I can go down and just change it to X, so no one knows whether I'm a male or female, then what's the point in even having you list if you're a male or a female or X? Just take it off completely. Because if the police aren't going to be able to use it to determine your sex, then then there's no point in wasting time and even putting it on there. You know, this is just complete idiocy. I, I don't I don't know, and then and it just opens up a whole bunch of questions. I mean, if you have a name like Terry or Chris, and you're arrested, and it says X, and you don't really look like a boy or a girl, I mean, you might have your hair long or whatever, how are they going to know what what pod to put you in? Are you going to put in with the men, or are you going to put in with the women? We, you know. I mean, you'd have to do a strip search, I guess, but even that is open to a lawsuit if a man strip searches a woman, even if she's dressed as a man, he can he could be charged because law and common sense tells you that if a woman is being strip searched, she should be strip searched by a woman and vice versa. I mean, for years that was the law that men could not strip search women in jail you had to have a woman whether she was a law enforcement officer or not i mean even if she was just a secretary you have to have a woman there you know to uh you know if a woman's being strip searched i mean that's open to a lawsuit but if he doesn't know it just says x and the man strip searches you know does a guy really want a woman standing there watching him be strip searched does a woman really want a man standing there watching her be strip searched I mean, you can't bring in both sexes as far as wardens to strip search somebody. That'd just be uncomfortable and embarrassing. And I don't know, it just opens up all kinds of questions. And I don't. Republicans have to win. 
the Secretary of State's office next time. This is just ridiculous. There's no excuse for this. And I doubt anyone is calling, been, you know, flooding the phone banks, wanting to know why there's no X. I mean, statistically, I mean, you're talking less than 1%, like quite less than 1%. You know, if they're being inundated with calls, they're talking about like maybe two people who are taking turns calling all day and night. Two people. I mean, we're not, you're not having hundreds of thousands of Michiganders calling, demanding an X put on their their Secretary of State's license. Plus, on top of that, aren't we suffering enough in Michigan without having to use our tax dollars for that? Uh, anyway. And now, in Grand Haven, uh, in the city that I grew up in, I have to hurry up here, uh, voters agree to axe gender-specific language from Grand Haven City Charter. Language in Grand Haven City Charter will be gender-neutral after voters on Tuesday approved an amendment suggested by the City Council. The amendment to the Charter was one of three that received a thumbs-up from voters. Uh, the proposal to remove such pronouns as he, she, his, her, and him, her from the Charter and replace them with such neutral gender terms as they, their, them was approved by an the narrowest margin among the three amendments. Unofficial results show that amendment was approved by a vote of 1,620 to 1,146. Uh, voters also agreed to remove city charter language that requires the city attorney be present at all city council meetings. They approved by an unofficial vote of 1970 to 769 to have the charter instead say the attorney shall be available for guidance during county meetings. An amendment to remove city charter language that is no longer accurate was approved. Uh, the amendment removes outdated language that established the city hospital and the library as departments of the city, provides city representation on the Ottawa County Board of Supervisors, and creates a municipal court of the city. I'm ashamed of Grand Haven. And let me do one more story here because we're running out of time. Uh, three incumbents on the Grand Haven City Council, including the mayor, lost their bids for re-election. In the mayoral race, Grand Haven Mayor Robert Monetza lost to Catherine McNally by a vote of 1,080 to 1,673, or about 39% to 60%. Monteza was seeking a second term in the seat, which is a two-year term. He was a council member for 10 years. For its term as mayor, McNally is a retired captain in the U.S. Coast Guard, where she was an officer, attorney, and instructor. Uh, two incumbents on the city council lost their bids Tuesday, retained their seats as well, with four candidates vying for two seats. Incumbents Mike Dora and Dennis Scott failed to garner more votes than Karen Lowe and Kevin McLaughlin. Um, let's see. And on the Board of Light and Power, Andrea Hendrick and Michael J. Westbrook landed more votes than the two others, Andy Cawthorn and Jerry McCaleb. So um, Ms. Hendrick and Mr. Westbrook will be uh, chosen for the Board of Light Power again. Um, so anyway, those are some news from around the world and around the corner. And uh, we're running out of time here, so hope everyone has a great week. And we'll talk more in depth next week about everything pertaining to Michigan and the world. And see you all next week. Bye, everyone.